Thanks very much, Karen. And thank you for reading that passage, passage to us. It's so great to see um, so many of you. Um, I know it feels like for quite some time, not much has changed, but um, well, maybe, maybe we're starting to see some changes. I can tell you this, I'm, I'm back here at um, Nyora Road. Now, it feels a little bit odd. I'm the only one here. And I'm looking at all of you sitting in your couches where you look absolutely comfortable. Um, got the back wall behind me here. Um, but that's a start. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we may actually be able to have um, a couple of musicians live um, recording from here as well. So that'd be, that'd be fun. And one of the reasons I'm here instead of at my office is because the Hurstbridge campus are at the Bolt at the moment and they actually had a live band um, recording there and Ollie's preaching from there as well and I, I guess they they kicked me out they didn't want to get confused and somehow you know Ollie be here I'd be there I don't know I could have got confusing but anyway perhaps that's a sign of some things to come um, I, I do know this I'm really missing you it's great to see you all um, they're looking very very comfortable uh, but, but uh, the place just feels a little bit lonely to be quite honest um, still virtually it's good to, good to be together well, thank you, Karen, again, for bringing us that, that reading and that encouraging word. It's interesting. I, I'm so grateful that we, we have um, this particular record of, of the Lord's return. And, and it arose because of a particular question um, amongst the Thessalonians in their church at the time. When I grew up, uh, most, of, most of my eschatology, that is my, my thinking around the Lord's return, the second coming, was formed by an old, old movie called Left Behind. And um, it, it had people in the 60s walking around with um, flared jeans and, uh, and so forth. And, and towards, towards the end, Larry Norman would sing a dirge about the fact that you got left behind because you weren't ready, ready for the Lord's return. And um, I, I think I got left behind too. In fact, well, I, I was certainly left confused. And because there are so many different theories, I think about the Lord's return. Is, you know, how is it going to happen? Are we in the millennium or not? You, you know, and all of these sorts of things. But perhaps, particularly in my earlier years, I sort of just dismissed it as one of those very confusing doctrines rather than um, being given hope and, and joy at the very thought of it. So, so I trust that we can return a little bit of that hope and, um, and, and help you to, to look forward with great anticipation and expectation to the Lord's return. The reason we have, and Thessalonians gives us some peculiar insights into the Lord's return that we don't find anywhere else in scripture. And it arose because of a couple of questions. Firstly, there was a concern for, for those who had, had died had fallen asleep in Christ. So these are believers who had died. And there was a concern about, you know, well, what if they're not here when, when Jesus returns? And what's going to happen? You know, um, we'll, we'll get caught up in the sky first, but what about them? And so forth. And, and because of these doctrines and, and some, some unhelpful speculation about these things, Paul writes, and, and he gives us this very, very helpful little understanding. Firstly, he says, brother, in verse 13 there, brothers and sisters, I, I don't want you to be uninformed. In other words, on this matter, I don't want you to be confused about all of this. I, I want you to understand about what, what it means for the Lord to return, and particularly about those who, who sleep in death. And of course, we know that he's talking here about Christians, because in verse 15, uh, sorry, 14, he says, those who have fallen asleep in him. So, so 
we don't want you to be uninformed about those so that you grieve like the rest of mankind who, who have no hope. The whole point of this is that, that when we grieve the loss of a brother or sister in Christ, that, that we have a different type of grief, that our grief is different to those who, who have no hope. Um, he, he reassures us in verse 14 that, that just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, God is also going to raise them. That's the assurance. This, this speaks to the importance of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In some rather liberal circles, um, there are questions about, you know, not just Jesus's death, but his physical resurrection. Is it important at all? And yes, it is. It's, it is important because the very fact that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead is, is your reassurance that he will also raise you from the dead and that he is also going to raise those who have already fallen asleep in him. And, and then Paul goes on and he says, the reason I want you, in, and that is verse 13 there, the reason I want you to understand these things is because, because with hope you are able to grieve differently, a different type of grief. Um, I guess in, in this regard, we are not to do as, as some Christians have in the past, and that is to, to deny the loss, as if well, we're not supposed to grieve as Christians. We are supposed to grieve as Christians. We suffer loss as other people suffer loss as well. But, but ours is a different type of grief, particularly for those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ, because we have a hope. We know we're going to see them again. Assuredly, just, just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise them from the dead. And if we fall asleep in Christ as well, he will raise us from the dead. And so we have a different type of grief. In fact, you could say that part of maturing in the spiritual life is learning to embrace our losses. We are going to experience loss in this life, loss of, loss of loved ones, loss of friends, and, and, and many other losses as, as well. But, but learning to embrace those losses because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a sign of maturity. I was having a, a conversation with my dad on, on one occasion. He lives in an aged care facility and, and he was just talking about, you know, uh, people that particular week, a number of people had passed away and so forth and, and various people's ill health and this person can't drive and that. And it started, suddenly dawned upon me that my dad was, was living in a context where he was surrounded by loss, uh, the loss of ability, the loss of health, sometimes the loss of life, not being able to get out as much as they used to, you know, people not able to get out as much as they used to. And, and I was reali realized for, for dad, wow, he, he lives in a, in a whole community that is every single day experiencing a loss of some type or another. But I would say this is a testimony to my, to my dad who, you know, has a wonderful Christian faith and passed that on to me. Um, I would say this, though he ex has experienced much loss and though he continues to experience various losses around him, it has not resulted in him growing bitter, but there is a great humility that comes through Christian maturity and learning to embrace our losses. And that's God's plan for you and for I as well. Not, not that it, loss should result in bitterness, but that loss would result in humility. Uh, a, a, growing, a growing sense of, 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 of how our humanity and, and our dependence upon God and, our, and a humility about who we are and what we are. Um, 
it lots actually it can be one of those things that god uses to mature us and and make us more like jesus there is a question here too which i just felt prompted to to answer this is talking about the loss of brothers and sisters in christ what do we do when when we experience the loss of those and we just don't know whether they had a faith or not maybe even to their dying day you know a staunch atheist they they declared that they did not what do we do about that where is where is the hope in those situations um, it's my privilege or been my privilege over the years to walk with with many of you as as you have experienced the the loss of a loved one and not in every case have you had you know, the confidence to be able to say, I know where, you know, my friend or my family member stood with regards to their faith. And perhaps I've even shared these thoughts with you. But, but I'll often, often share the two scriptures. One is Genesis 18, verse 25. Will not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? You can trust God. Sometimes we don't know. We don't have the assurance. What has happened to our friend or family member when they have not openly testified to their faith in Jesus Christ? It's hard. It's difficult, isn't it? We just don't know. But we do know the character of God. He'll do what is right. He's a good judge. He's a just judge. And the other verse I sometimes share is, is 2 Peter 3, 8. He's not a day like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day to the Lord. In the dying moments of a person's life, in those last few seconds, we don't know what transactions take place between a person and their, and their creator, their maker. But it could be that God in his grace um, crushes their defenses and, and steps into their life in one of those precious ways in which he has with us and he has with so many and reveals himself to them and gives them that opportunity that they need to, to accept him, that they would have that moment where they know how, how known and loved they are by, by their God. We just don't know. We don't know. But we do know this, that time is not an obstacle to God. And we know that God will always do that, which is, which is, is good and right and, and just. So I think my, my encouragement to you when you just don't know is don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Trust God even in, in those matters as well. In Christ, we have an everlasting hope. And then Paul goes on, and, and again, there is um, an, another aspect to this, and, and, and there seemed to be not only some confusion um, about, um, well, what happens to those who have died, but, but <laughs> can I put it this way, a little bit of confusion about an unsettling theology that had crept into the church. And I'm going to put it this way. It's the first in line theology or the first in the queue theology. And, and we don't know a whole lot about it, but it seems that there was some question or discussion in the church about the fact that we who haven't died will obviously meet Jesus Christ before those who have died because we're alive and, and we're first in the queue. And there seemed to be, I don't know, some sort of discussion about that and, and others saying, well, that's not there and and you know a desire that some of these other saints you know surely they're going to meet with jesus first and and again i guess it comes down to to that that problem um, that we are we are subject to time and god is not and so paul answers that question as well and i'm so glad that he does because he gives us some fascinating insights here 
In verses 15, he says, well, according to the Lord's word, and I want to stop just there and say this. It's very, very important. Yes, Paul is talking to the church here, but he is, he is speaking Christ's word, God's word here. He says, according to the Lord's word. It is the Lord himself who has promised that he will return. Remember, he did so in the Gospels. Jesus has promised he's coming back. So, so don't, don't ever, ever let complacency or despair set in when we see troubling times around us. More than a few have asked during this pandemic, is, is this it? Is, is this it? Are we, are we in the end times? And my answer is always, yes, we are. But, but is this it? Is the, Lord, the Lord's return imminent? Well, we don't know the day or the hour, but we are told to anticipate this. And it's based not on speculation, but a promise. He's promised. He's coming back. He is coming back for you and for I. He's absolutely promised. This is one of his promises that you can hold on to. Um, and so, so expect it with great anticipation. Paul is saying, according to the Lord's word, we tell you, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And this is how it's going to happen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of archangels and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you get the sense there we're not going to miss this? <laughs> there's, going to be, there's going to be trumpets and, and the voice of archangels, and, and the Lord himself is going to appear. Um, I was sometimes troubled, again, as a young believer, by the, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. You know, five of them had trimmed their lamps and they had enough oil for, for when the bridegroom would arrive and five of them had not. So they went off back into town to get some more oil and they missed out. And I thought the teaching of that, of that particular parable was, oh, be careful, Stuart. You, you might get left behind. You, you might miss out. Be careful. I've come to realize a little bit later on that, well, actually, that, that, that misses what Jesus very, very clearly teaches. In, in Matthew 24, Verse, verse 27, he says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we understand a, a whole lot more now. You know, most of us here probably aren't flat earthers. I definitely hope not. But, but, but so we kind of, we're kind of picturing a, a round earth and we're sort of thinking, okay, well, if he comes, you know, um, we've, we've all seen videos of how how this the globe looks well if he comes at this particular part and you're on the other side of the globe how are you going to see him well the promise here is that just as lightning flashes in the east and it's visible from the west this isn't going to be a problem and then angels are going to come and they're going to and i imagine almost like the dawning of a day around the world the four angels are going to come and they're going to gather up god's elect um and he says that in verse verse 31 there in other words you're not going to miss this. You're not going to miss that. There's going to be trumpets, like lightning in the sky. You're going to see it. There's going to be the voice of the archangels. The Lord himself is going to be visible. He himself will come back for you and I, and, and we're going to be caught up. And so the promise is you're not going to miss this. The parable of the, of the ten virgins um, is, is more about being ready. What bride is going to complacently sort of just miss her wedding day? You know, oh, I forgot, to, I forgot to get ready. I forgot to get dressed. I forgot to turn up at the church. You know, what, what bride seriously in, in, in love with her groom is, is going to miss her wedding? She's not, is she? Likewise, um, if we're seriously in love with Jesus, don't worry. You're, you're not going to miss 
the grooms the grooms coming for it for each of us so so you needn't worry about that and that's a that's a wonderful reassurance to to have the second thing we we know from this is that god is going to raise raise up those who have already fallen asleep in him um so so there's going to be some who are raised up and then those of us who are still alive are going to be caught up in the heavenlies and this is called the rapture it's not a word that you'll you'll find specifically in in scripture but it's a latin word which is throughout the church age is is very much um being a, a doctrine and a subject that we we talk about much the, the second coming literally in latin it means to be carried off to be transported or to be snatched away, but, but in a good way, snatched away from harm, snatched away from, like in Zechariah, the fire, aren't you like a twig snatched from the fire? It's snatched away in, in a very, very, very good way, carried off or transported. And so sometimes we use the word in a different sense, don't we? We, we talk about rapture as, as, as excitement or delight. That's exactly right. To be snatched up, to be saved, to be, to be captured by the Lord and transported and return to him. It's a good thing. Um, and, and so the sense, sense here is that, that we are going to be raptured, caught up with, with the Lord. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Wow. I was talking to, to somebody this, this week, a dear saint who's, who's um, uh, approaching a hundred about about this concept of the rapture and and he remarked with with wonderful understatement well that will be interesting <laughs> yes it will be interesting won't it i mean just just imagine this picture so what are we to anticipate are, are we to be fearful of it not at all we're to expect it with with great delight look forward to this is this some type of of escape no it's, it's fulfillment. Just as your wedding day, um, for those of you who are, who are married, your wedding day was not an escape from something, but the fulfillment of your dreams to, to be with somebody very special for the rest of your life. Um, this also is not an escape, but the fulfillment of something that you have dreamt of, something that you have been destined for. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful reunion. And, and rather than be afraid, we're to anticipate it and to expect it. Indeed, we're to, in verse 18, encourage one another with this doctrine. It's an important doctrine of the church. It's, it's sometimes forgotten and, and overlooked, but it shouldn't be confusing. It should fill you with a sense of expectation and, and awe. Um, imagine uh, um, you've, you've had various reunions, I imagine, um, in life, um, whether you were you're as a small child lost in a supermarket and found and reunited with your mum and dad or, or whether you've been travelling in a way but you've, you've returned home at the airport and you've been reunited with a loved one. You've, you've had reunions. And do you know what makes reunions special? Is this. A reunion is special because you're returned to somebody who truly knows you. I, I've had um, sometimes the privilege and sometimes the chore of, of traveling much in my life. The truth is, I don't like it that much. Um, I get terribly homesick. I love coming home and I anticipate it. And, you know, my phone calls to Bron um, when I'm returning from a trip become more and more frequent the more that um, I'm, I'm approaching that time of returning home. I can't wait to get home. 
Um, why? Because these are the people who really know me and really love me. And, it, and it's just great to receive their embrace and be together again around the meal table once more. Well, think of the rapture like that. Think of, think of being caught up in the air with Jesus as like that. You know people in this life, and, and they know you. You are known and loved by people here on earth. But you are not known and loved like Jesus knows you and Jesus loves you. Imagine that reunion of being caught up in the air and meeting Jesus face to face and looking him in the face and realizing you know me like nobody has ever known me. You love me like I've never been loved before. It's the ultimate homecoming. It really is. We've got a dear couple in the church and, and sometimes you, you hear from Tom Kimber um, when he preaches, but Tom and Sue, um, they're a delight to know. And, and Bron and I have learned much from them over the last few years. And I don't mean to embarrass them. They're online here somewhere. I saw their names. But um, of, of the many things I've learned from Tom and Sue, one of them was this, a remark they made sometime that every morning, or at least most mornings, they wake up and they say to each other, who knows, this could be the day that the Lord returns. When I first heard Tom say that, I, I was struck by that. And I thought, oh, I like that. I don't know that I've done that every morning of my life, but Bron and, Bronnie and I have tried to practice that a little bit more. And it's, it's a great reminder of this, this sense of anticipation that we should have. And verse 18 says, and we should encourage one another with this. There are many, many songs that various Christian artists have sung over the years, old, old hymns such as I'll Fly Away, which, which talks about the rapture, or he'll raise you up, um, which again talks about God raising us up. There are lots of songs that have been, been penned and sung over the years to try and help us keep this particular doctrine at the forefront of our thoughts as, as believers. And so I pray that you might even discover one of those old songs and, and maybe even play it today. But regardless, encourage one another with these words, as verse 18 says we should do. And let's look forward to the Lord's return. Who knows? Maybe today's the day. God bless you. Let me, let me pray for you. Oh, Jesus, we do so look forward to your return. You've promised it will be. You have promised, and we hold on to that promise. And we look forward to it with much anticipation. Even now, we'd say, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day. We thank you for this, for this coming week and for one another. We thank you for this hope that we have within so that we do not grieve as, as those in the world who have no hope. But while we have another day, another breath, whilst we're here, we pray that you would remind us of our mission to be bearers of that hope, to give, to give our neighbours and those we love, to share the hope that we have within, the faith that we have, that they too may be caught up on that day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.